Good morning. How's everybody today? It's spring finally, yay. Doesn't feel like spring, but it is spring. All right. Um, I brought this with me today. A wishbone. No, we're not talking about dry bones. That was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but it is a wishbone. And what do we do with a wishbone? We make a wish, right? When I was a kid, I, well, I still have two brothers. I'm the oldest. I have two younger brothers. Um, and how many people can use a wishbone? That's a problem, right? When there are three of you and there's only one wishbone, that's a problem. We used to fight about it sometimes to see who could get to do that. So, um, so how do you work this? You do this and you find your wish that way? That's how you find water, right? You, you All right, so what do you do with it? Make a circle? No, that's a compass, right? All right, what do you do with it? You pull the ends, right? All right, I need a volunteer. Who wants to volunteer? Um, Carissa, how about you? Come on up. So what happens if we we each take a piece of this, right, and we, we pull it? What, how do we know who gets their wish? The biggest piece gets their wish. Okay, which side do you want to hold? That one? All right. Ready? One. Make, oh, make your wish. Make your wish. You have a wish? Okay, ready? One, two, three. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, let's see. Hers is just a little bit bigger than mine, so that means your wish is going to come true. Hopefully you didn't wish for a unicorn. Okay, good, because I don't think that can happen. You're welcome to go back to your seat if you'd like, and I'll take that for you. Um, wishes. We often have wishes, and we wish for all kinds of things. We have birthday candles we blow out, we make a wish, right? We see a star, we make a wish. We have wishbones, we make a wish. But do they always come true? No. Most of the time, they don't, right? Most of the time, we forget about it. However, there is a man in the story today, and I'm sure he had a wish. Anybody remember what his wish was? To see. All right? He wished he could see. He was born blind. He could never see. And... People treated him badly because of that. If you had any kind of handicap when you were back in those days, people just treated you like, yeah, you sit there and beg. You're not worth anything. And he just wanted to see. And he heard about Jesus. And he heard that Jesus could heal people. And so he also heard, when you're, when you're blind, your other senses kick in big time. So his hearing was really good. And he was hearing all these things that Jesus was doing. And he also heard that Jesus was coming his way. Now, when you're blind, you, you can hear a lot, but nothing affects him now, right? He can still see. And so when he heard that Jesus was coming, he started yelling, Jesus, son of David, over here. I'm not sure where you are, but I'm over here. Come and find me, right? And people were saying, oh, shush. 
He doesn't want to see you. You're just a blind beggar. Go away. Be quiet. But Jesus didn't say that, did he? No, he said, bring him here. And it says here that he got up and he ran to Jesus. Now, I don't know how someone blind could run to somebody like that, but I'm sure he was using those ears to be able to find him and to run to him. Um, But he didn't just sit around and wish and wish, oh, I wish I could see. He actually did something. He asked. And that's what God wants us to do. He knows what we need. He knew Bartimaeus wanted to see. He knew it. But he needed Bartimaeus to ask. So Jesus said, you know, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? And he said, I want to see. Jesus didn't say, okay, let me put some mud on your eyes or go wash in the river or anything else. He said, your faith has healed you. And immediately he could see. Bartimaeus knew in his heart that Jesus could fix him. He didn't have to wish. All he had to do was ask. And that's the same with us. We have a lot of things we wish for, but all we have to do is ask. Now, does that mean God's always going to say yes? I think that's another sermon coming up. We'll hold that one. Sometimes he doesn't say yes. But in this case, he did, and he healed Bartimaeus. And he can heal us, no matter what our need is, no matter what our wish is. If it's his will, he'll take care of it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we ask. We thank you that you have all wisdom and you know what's best for us. So when we ask for things that are not best for us, you don't respond to those in the way that we want. But we thank you that you do respond when we ask in ways that are pleasing to you so that we can be disciples for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. A prayer from Psalm 140. Hear, Lord, my cry for mercy. Sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer, you shield my head in the day of battle. Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plans succeed. Lord, please don't allow anything to get in the way of your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. A few Sundays ago, I mentioned that um, I am loosely using an acrostic from a book called Prayer, A Simple Guide for Normal People. I was recommending that to somebody, and I thought that title was funny, and and they actually got offended by it because they felt like it was picking on people with disabilities, and I don't think that's the point of the title, so I just want to say that if anybody else heard that. I think he's saying prayer is actually for everyday, ordinary people, and so this author, Pete Grieg, has come up with an acrostic to help us think about prayer, maybe in a different way than we have, and and it's from the word pray, and all the different letters stand for something, so... um, what does the P stand for? Anyone remember? Pause. <laughs> you remember we paused first, and then what, what, what was the R? The R was last week. Rejoice, right. And so today's A, what do you think that is? 
Ass, exactly. So we're actually going to talk about this one for two Sundays because it's kind of a big topic. It's the one that we normally think of when we think of praying, right? You kind of, even if you know that prayer is communication with God and it's not supposed to be one way, most of the time when we talk about prayer, we're thinking about asking, right? Or is it just me? Okay. <laughs> um, so this week we're going to talk about asking for ourselves, and next week we'll talk about um, asking on behalf of other people. I would say that asking is both the easiest part and the hardest part of prayer. Um, back in the day, some of you know this, some of you know that Paul and I had our 10th anniversary recently, and so we both got married to each other somewhat later in life, and I was single all the way up until that point. Um, and so I spent a lot of years online dating. I am really glad I'm not doing that now, because I think it's probably even worse, but it was not fun back then. Um, one time, I, I did meet some interesting people, some nice people, um, and some also not so great people, but... Um, <laughs> A lot of times, people that I interacted with, all it was was an online interaction, or maybe you'd get as far as the telephone. Um, there was this one guy who I think I talked to on the phone once. Never met him in person. Don't remember what his name was. Um, but I do remember this conversation because he was a Christian, but he was from a different type of church than I, was, than I had grown up in. And I was talking about praying for something, in our conversation, and I think I either mentioned asking for prayer for myself, or I suggested that this guy should ask his friends to pray for him, and he was horrified. Why would I ask for prayer for myself, he said. You don't ask for yourself. That's selfish. He was really just scandalized by this, and I was also taken aback <laughs> by his response, and that was the only phone call we ever had. I don't know if that's why, but um, probably didn't, yeah, there was probably not going to be a whole lot of seeing eye to eye after that. So here's the question. Why ask? The title of this sermon is Couldn't Hurt to Ask, but Maybe I should have put a question mark at the end of it. Couldn't hurt to ask? Could it hurt to ask? No? Kathleen, you look skeptical. <laughs> so in James chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, James, who was probably the James that was Jesus' brother, says, you do not have, because you do not ask God. So we should probably ask, right? But then he, he follows it up and he says, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So before we talk about Bartimaeus, I think we need to talk about this. Um, James is kind of saying to this, these people in these early churches, look, you guys, if you want something, you got to get it from God. But God's not going to give it to you if you don't ask him for it. But also be careful because when you do ask, you're just asking, you're self-centered about it. You're asking selfishly. And I think this is kind of what the guy I talked to on the phone that one time 
was sort of getting at. Like, why would I, why would I focus on myself? Why would I ask other people to focus on myself? That's selfish. Um, this is related to a question that I was asked last year after um, the sermon that, which is going to come up again at the end of the sermon, but that we talked about James and John asking um, Jesus to be, to sit at his right and left hand. And somebody came up to me, somebody here came up to me and said, I have really been struggling with wanting, wanting this particular thing. Am I not supposed to want this? Am I not supposed to ask for this? This is a conundrum. To ask or not to ask. This is why, one of the reasons why asking is a really hard part of prayer. It's kind of a natural default. There are lots of things that we feel like we want and need. But on the other hand, there's a lot of implications. What if we don't get it? What if we're asking, the, what if we have the wrong motives? Um, there's a really chilling verse in Psalm 106, verse 15. That psalm kind of rehashes the history of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And verse 15, in a couple translations, says something like, He gave them what they wanted, but sent leanness into their souls. Uh <laughs> The first time I read that, in that, in, in those words, I was like, "Oh my word! What, what if I ask for something? You know, what if I ask for the wrong thing?" So, um, maybe it could hurt to ask. I think a lot of this, the key to a lot of this, is really who's first. Like the song that we just sang. Before I lift my hand, before I lift my, I forget how it's worded, but before I lift my request to God, I'm going to lift my hands in praise to God. I'm going to acknowledge who God is. And as I draw closer to God, as I put Jesus first, the things that I want, the things that, are, that I ask for are going to line up more and more. However, we're going to talk about Bartimaeus. And this guy, at least in this story, which is the only story that we have of him in the Bible, um, didn't personally know Jesus first. But we can, there are some things that we can learn from him. Um, let's keep in mind that the Bible is mostly stories, and there are some rules in there, but there is very little, um, there are very few formulas in the Bible, if any. So we can look at this guy, and we're going to pull out, we're going to see some, some principles and some things that we can try to do in our own lives, but there are very few people where you just, you put in this, you do this thing, and then this thing comes out. This week I was reading something, and somebody said, God is not an algorithm, which is good to keep in mind. God's not a computer program that's just kind of, that notices what you're clicking on and says, okay, I'm going to give you this. <laughs> um, God is relational. And so our prayer, our asking, comes out of relationship. So, okay, let's talk about Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a beggar. He is outside the city of Jericho. Jericho is famous for the Old Testament. This is rebuilt Jericho. This is new Jericho. And 
he is blind. He's been blind since birth. And Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd, we don't know how big it is, have been in Jericho apparently, and they're coming out of the city. They're leaving the city, and the beggars are sitting by the gates to the city. Makes sense. That's where the people come in and out. And we're approaching uh, Passover. I think they're going to Jerusalem. And so sitting by the gates is a good spot. If you're a beggar, especially during festival time, lots of people are going to come by. You might actually be able to make some money. So when Bartimaeus hears that this crowd is about not just a festival coming, but about Jesus. Jesus is in this crowd. He starts to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they try to shut him up. Why do you suppose they, first of all, who's they? Who do you think could be in this they? What's that? Any of us, true. But in this particular, so there's there's Jericho walls, there's beggars sitting by the gate, there's people in the crowd, there's the disciples. Who's telling him to shut up? Anybody. The disciples could be, could be the Pharisees, could be other beggars. Yep. Keep that in mind. Okay. So this guy is clearly a New Englander because he's a contrarian and he just keeps going. <laughs> People tell him to shut up, and he's, he just gets louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why do you think he persisted in this? It's his chance. He really wanted to see. Okay, he's obviously heard something about Jesus, which is why he's so excited about him. It, clearly it worked for somebody, other people. It, it could hurt, help him. Um, just a little question. You don't have to answer this, but just think about this. One time, you know how sometimes we, we read stories in here together and I ask you to imagine yourself in the story? Um, somebody led me through an exercise of that with this story, and I thought that I was going to be Bartimaeus because we always want to be the hero of the story, right? I was not. I was the people that tried to shut him up, and I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> And so I had to notice some things about myself and my relationship with God. Um, so when you get home, maybe try this exercise and see who you are, who you feel like you're connecting with in the story, and, um, and then talk to God about it. Because, yeah, God can do some, some cool and, and healing things even in that. Okay, so Bartimaeus is making all this noise. People are trying to shut him up. He's just getting louder, and Jesus stops. And he calls him, why do you think Jesus stopped for this blind beggar? He heard him. Anything else? You think Jesus wanted to calm him down? Okay, so that's a, that's a possibility. Sometimes Jesus told people to keep quiet because it wasn't time for people to really know who he was. Um, I think that might have been some of the motivation for some of the people that were telling Bartimaeus to shut up. 
I don't know that it's Jesus' intent right now because he's heading towards Jerusalem. Um, but that's, that's a possibility. Bartimaeus has not yet had a chance to abide in Jesus like Jesus tells his disciples to later, which we read in John 15 in our responsive reading. That conversation hasn't happened yet in terms of this story. And Bartimaeus has, this is the first time Bartimaeus is meeting Jesus. But he trusts something about who Jesus is. And he hasn't just heard that Jesus is healing people. This is to your point, Lorna. What he says is really key. He's calling Jesus the son of David, which is a messianic title. So he is making a really bold statement. Blind, random blind beggar outside of Jericho is who has never met Jesus before is calling Jesus the Messiah. He has some sense of who Jesus really is, and that's why he's convinced Jesus can help him. It's not so much because Jesus healed a whole bunch of other people. It's because he believes already that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus says, Come on, call him over. And all the people that have been trying to sh shut him up probably realize that this will also shut him up. So they're like, okay, okay, calm down. Cheer up. Go, he, wants to, he wants to see you. Go ahead. Like, <laughs> just stop making us uncomfortable. And then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? This is an obvious question. <laughs> it seems like, duh, <laughs> what do you think? Um, this leads to another question that I think sometimes we have about asking God for things in prayer. Why should I ask God who already knows? He likes to be asked. What did you think? He wants us to ask. Why do you think? Okay, you are initiating faith by asking. Pete Greig puts it this way. God's, he says, God asks us to ask for at least three reasons. Number one, asking is relational in a way that wishing, the Bible's sermon, is not. Jesus is always more interested in friendship than in dispensing blessings to faithless souls. Jesus does things out of relationship. He wants us to ask. If we just, yeah, God knows what I need, Jesus wants us to ask him because that puts us in relationship with him. Also, number two, asking is vulnerable. To make a request is to admit an area of personal need. It's another way of confessing. Um, it extends trust to the person asked. Three, asking is intentional. It involves the activation of our wills, and as Paul says, of our faith. God respects us too much to ride roughshod over our free wills, and he loves us too much to force us to do his bidding. He comes where he is welcomed and waits to answer 
until he is called. And this goes to the passage in James that I quoted. You do not have because you do not ask God. God wants us to ask for these three reasons. But I think there's a fourth reason. There's probably a lot of reasons. But there's a fourth reason, which is when we have to ask Jesus, when, when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And we have to actually put it into words. It gives us a chance to figure out what we really want. Because even though it seems obvious what Bartimaeus would have wanted, it's possible he didn't really know what he wanted until he had the opportunity to ask. And that's because there could have actually been another answer to Jesus' question. Can you imagine any reason why Bartimaeus would not have wanted his sight back? Okay, like what? Shelter? Food? Okay, so you're saying he could have asked for eternal life. I don't feel like at this point in Jesus' ministry, that would have even, even knowing that Jesus was the Messiah, even believing that Jesus was the Messiah and calling him the son of David, I don't know that eternal life was necessarily a concept. Oh. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm just, I'm just imagining here um, that before... Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus has to really t- come to terms with what he wants. Um, he could have said, he's a beggar, right? He's blind and he's a beggar. And like Barb mentioned, he doesn't have any kind of social status because he's disabled. Um, but there are other ways that he could have probably gained some social status because it's not like he has leprosy or something. So he could have said, I would like to be, I would like to have social status, or I would like to be financially solvent. Just give me some money, Jesus. Um, Or I would like to be able to say that I met a celebrity. Jesus, can I have your autograph? (laughs) Or, I don't know, there's, There's plenty of other things he could have asked for. Think about this. This is a guy, so he has no social status, but he's a beggar. There are communities of beggars. He's probably some of the people trying to shut him up, as Sandy said, are beggars. That's true. He could have asked for more than himself to see. He could have, um, but he could have, like, I suspect if there were beggars trying to shut him up, they're saying, don't upset the status quo. We have a good gig here. Like, we can support ourselves. This is our livelihood. You have no job skills. What are you going to do? So there are lots of reasons that Bartimaeus could have just decided to stay the way he was. By asking to see, he's actually asking for the hard thing, not a quick fix. It's a miracle that he asks for, and it's a miracle that he gets. But 
it's a miracle that is actually going to ultimately do more work for him. There are plenty of reasons it would have been easier to ask for something else and stay blind, like James says, that he might spend what he had on his pleasures. Did he think all this through? Probably not. But his actions show what his heart really wanted, both before he gets the healing and after. Sometimes when I'm preparing my sermon, I will take the passage and I'll break it apart word by word. Not because I think there's something magic in the individual words or anything, but because it slows me down so that I notice what it actually says. And there's this little throwaway line in here that says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Jesus calls him and the people are like, go ahead, he wants to see you. And so he throws his cloak aside and comes to Jesus. And the reason this detail was interesting to me is this version of this story comes from Mark. And Mark is the shortest gospel. Mark does not waste time. He doesn't talk as much as me. He's just short and to the point, and he only tells the bare minimum of the story. And so when he puts this detail in there, there's a reason he put this detail in there. And so when I slowed down enough to notice that, I thought, okay, why is Mark saying this? I thought it has something to do with he's putting his old life aside and he's coming to Jesus. Then I checked this out in two different commentaries that come from two very different, I mean, they're both Bible-believing, Jesus-loving writers, but they have different kind of perspectives. And both of them said the cloak is where he would collect his money. There's probably already money in his cloak. He's a beggar and he's blind and it's not like people are gonna toss him coins so he can catch it. So he has a cloak and people are throwing their money in there. So there was probably already money and Jesus says, come over and he's like, okay, I'm all set with this which means he's already made his decision what he wants to ask for because he's already throwing his old life aside. He's throwing away his protection from the elements, throwing away his personal possession, which was probably one of his only personal possessions, and he's throwing away his livelihood. It's basically his job. So he jumps to his feet and comes to Jesus because he puts Jesus first. He wanted Jesus more than security. He's about to take the riskiest option because he's decided if Jesus can take care of that part, he'll probably take care of the rest of it. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Rabbi, I want to see. Look, Bartimaeus was literally blind and he is asking to literally be able to see physically. And whenever the Bible talks about sight and blindness, it's always also talking about spiritual sight and blindness. I can't think of one story in the Bible where that topic comes up, where it's not talking about both physical and spiritual. So he's asking to be able to see, and he's asking to be able to see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Jesus says go. Jesus gave him and Jesus gives any of us the option to get on with life on his own. 
to get on with life on our own. Jesus wants to be close to us, but when we come to him and ask for something, sometimes we honestly don't want him. We just want our thing. Give me my miracle, Jesus. Thanks, I'm good. And Jesus doesn't force us to come to him, does he? So he says, so he gives the guy the option. Go, your faith has healed you. But Bartimaeus disobeys Jesus because he doesn't go. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You know, there are other translations that say he followed Jesus along the way. And that's probably more accurate because that was actually the term for Christians before the term Christian became a thing. They were called followers of the way. And so Mark is probably literally telling us from this moment, even though the crucifixion hasn't happened yet, the resurrection hasn't happened yet, Pentecost hasn't happened yet, Bartimaeus is following Jesus along the way. He's abiding in Jesus. He is choosing Jesus. Choosing to ask for the thing that brings him closer to Jesus rather than the thing that would keep him more independent of Jesus. He could have said, give me some money, and then gone on and lived his life. And I had to ask myself when I got to this point, I wonder if the reason some of my prayers go unanswered is because I'm actually looking for the quick fix, <laughs> the quick fix that gets me off Jesus' back and lets me live my life my own way. Instead of the thing, miracle or not, that makes me more dependent on Jesus, that brings me closer to Jesus. So, like I said, last year we talked about James and John and they're asking, well, in Matthew, their mother says, please let my son sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom. In Mark, the two brothers ask for that. Guess what? That story is right before this one. Like, if you open your Bible to Mark 10, you can literally look up a few verses and see it. So, we have two stories back to back of people asking Jesus for something. And when we talked about that passage last year, I said, nothing delights God more than the request to be close to Jesus. So in the context of that story, we would say James and John were asking, honestly, they were asking with the wrong motives. They were asking selfishly, but what they were kind of asking without realizing it was to be close to Jesus, to be seated on his right and on his left is close to Jesus. So that was the peace Jesus granted. Jesus says in John 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When Jesus is at the center of our lives, his heart becomes our heart. We start to want the things that he wants for ourselves, for each other, and for the world. But it takes a while for our hearts to become fully aligned with his. And so even when our motives are questionable, even when we don't totally know what our motives are, when Jesus is at the center of our souls, we can ask whatever we wish without fear of God sending leanness into our souls. We do not have to be afraid of that because Jesus is in our souls. Maybe we're not always going to ask for the right thing all the time with the right words all the time, but when Jesus knows our heart, 
if our heart is in Jesus, the answer that we get when we ask whatever we wish, well, we'll get an answer. It may not totally play out the way we meant it, as it didn't for James and John. They got an answer. Technically, they got the answer that they asked for, just not what they thought they were asking for. Or the answer that we get may be a miracle that actually requires more of us than we bargained for, like it did for Bartimaeus. Or sometimes we may ask for something and it is actually a mercy for us or for somebody else that the answer we get is a no. Sometimes that's true. But when Jesus has our hearts, what is done for us in response to our prayers will bring us closer to him. And he is the one who will finally fully fulfill all of our wants and all of our needs and our desires. So here's some homework. This week, let's go through the first letters of first three letters of our four letter acrostic. Pray. Take some time to pause before God. We've talked about pausing being part of confession or confession being part of pausing, and that can be true, but I also want to invite you to literally pause without words before God and just kind of be. And then rejoice in God. Spend some time thinking about who God is, worshiping who God is. Get happy about it. Listen to some worship music if that helps, but spend some time rejoicing in God. And then try this. Imagine Jesus asking you, what do you want me to do for you? Really think about it and then ask him. Couldn't hurt. <laughs>